Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. My name is Paul Choi. I serve at Village Baptist Church uh, in Beaverton, Oregon. Uh, it's my privilege to uh, come back to Antioch after one year and a few months. Uh, thank you for having me um, and, and giving me this privileged opportunity to share from the Word of God on this special morning. Uh, I said it's a special morning for a number of reasons. Having come from a church uh, which has not been able to meet in person for a Sunday service for almost four or five months now. Uh, this gathering really uh, means something, like even emotionally. <laughs> uh, I think you are one of those rare churches uh, where God has specially preserved for continuation of the communal joyful noise towards Him. So I believe our gathering this morning carries a somewhat uh, representative significance on behalf of many churches, extraordinarily sacred. I want to describe this experience to be extraordinarily sacred. And this morning is special also because you have chosen and committed to listening to a preacher who is from a people of color, whose English has accents, requiring from you to listen with more attention patience, and humility, especially in the midst of so many great preachers like birds, trees, and flowers, and clouds. And I believe it's an act of worship, and I trust that the Spirit of the living God will not fail to speak to you when you come to Him with such an attention, patience, and humility. A third, it's a special morning. Because I was told that I may wear my sunglasses on the pulpit. <laughs> this is special. Uh, this might be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience for me and in my culture. <laughs> and perhaps I should have brought my like, clergy robe or something, you know? Imagine how they could be matching together. <laughs> and thank you for letting me uh, wear this so that I can see you or, a little more clearly. And I'm sorry that I'm the only one um, standing under a shade uh, like this on this bright day, uh, whereas you are, it's pretty hot. It must be pretty hot on the grass. Uh, I just promise that I'll do my best to deliver this sermon precisely and as quickly as possible so that it goes for no longer than my pre-recorded sermon video at Village Church, which is now being online broadcasted simultaneously at this hour, which went on for only 59 minutes. <laughs> so speaking of sunglasses, I was thinking uh, last night that it's funny that I, have to, that I have to wear these dark lenses so that I can see you more clearly. It's funny and it's like a dilemma, you see? Sunglasses are dark lenses. If we put dark blackened lenses in front of our eyes, it's logical that we should see things less vividly. 
Imagine that you wear sunglasses as you drive into a long tunnel or walk into a dark room. You don't get to see things clearly because of the darkness of the lenses. However, when you walk into a bright day like today with sunglasses, ironically, you get to see things more clearly and vividly because of the darkness, the dark lenses in front of your eyes. This COVID-19 is a suffering. It's a hardship for so many. It's like a darkness that has come to us all. It has come to right in front of our eyes. But if we reside in darkness, this obstacle, this hindrance will blind our eyes even more and we remain in fear and in in anxiety. But if we walk in the light, as he is the light, this obstacle and this hindrance, this suffering, will rather help us to see things even more clearly. You know, helping us to see who is in control, who is holding the future, and who is holding your hands. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Only in the darkness can you see the stars. So this COVID-19 is a suffering, but is it leading you towards fear and anxiety? Or is it rather leading you to a place where you can see your Jesus and what he's up to even more clearly? Don't you want to walk in the light? That's what today's story is about, darkness, which helps us to see things even more clearly. So many experts, brains, scholars say that the history of the 21st century humanity will be divided into BC and AC, namely before COVID and after COVID. So many things have changed and so many things will be changed because of this unprecedented global experience. The online schooling experience, work from home practices. Many are questioning if buffet style, like all you can eat types of restaurants would survive after COVID. You know how we eat, how we dine, how we shop, Things have changed a lot. When we first switched, we village switched first, uh, first switched to online services. Some people like literally cried uh, because of their longing to meet in person and worship. But you know what? After four or five months, some of them now say, "Perhaps this is better." <laughs> I can get to choose the time and space for my worship. I can save the time to commute. You know, more than mere changes of our actions and lifestyles and how we do things, people's worldview, namely how we think and how, what we value, is being transformed. If we take a broader view, we are standing at a crossroad where the human civilization, it's a big word, human civilization is being transformed. So some, some people say that we finally arrived at the dawn of the 21st century 
and all the things we've dreamed of about the 21st century are becoming dreams come true, that the COVID has become a trigger which accelerates the advancement of technologies and experiments that have long been awaiting. You know, there are so many predictions, discussions, and narratives about what the post-COVID world would be like. What would happen to the stock market and global economy? What would happen to the real estate and properties? Would the work from home be a new normal and new lifestyle in the world to come? What would be the new industry that will merge because of COVID? What would happen to the global manufacturing chain? What would be the new global power structure? So many predictions and preparations for the world that is coming. And I'm sure you've heard so many of these already. But today, I, I want to suggest a different kind of questions to be asked. There is an area that we Christians must not overlook about, or perhaps we've got to spend most of our energy on this area and these questions if possible. It is to imagine the kingdom the kingdom of Jesus. It is to ask what the post-COVID-19 world should be like, like must be like, in order that it becomes more like the heaven that is coming down onto the earth. You see, the question of what the post-COVID world would be like is about guessing what is naturally to come. Predictions, as things go and as things flow, However, the, the questions of what the post-COVID world should be like is about direction and values that we want to propose to the world to come. Namely, setting up the new norms and directions for the world. You know, instead of merely questioning how we could survive in the new world, Instead of merely questioning how I could succeed and become a winner, shouldn't Christians be thinking, questioning, and endeavoring about what and how we could contribute to make this world a better place to live in the eyes of God and in light of the kingdom likeness at this historic transitional age? I hope our prayers are not just about, Lord, protect me, my families, and my work from COVID. Important they must be. This shouldn't be the end of our prayers. Lord, let this COVID pass as quickly as possible and help us to get back to the normal Yes, that's an honest prayer, and I hope and I pray that this prayer gets answered. However, I also want to pray, Lord, we know that you are doing something through this unprecedented circumstance. We know that you are alive and working in the midst of all. You are making everything new. You are the author of the history 
And we know that you must be doing something special. Lord, we pray, let the things that you've planned to accomplish, even through this pandemic, be achieved. Lord, continue to work for your kingdom to come onto the earth. Open our eyes to see what you are up to now and help us to walk in the light with you. What the post-COVID-19 world should become like. Shouldn't that be the Christian's questions and prayers? A crisis of today's church is not that we cannot gather for worships on Sunday because of COVID. The crisis is that the church may have lost its dreams and passions to bring about kingdom onto the earth, even now and through the pandemic. It's a time to dream about future. It's a time to imagine the kingdom compelled by the love of Christ, captured by the visions and dreams of Jesus. It's a time for us to become dreamers, like idealists, at least during this historic transitional age. And when we say we want, to, we want to see such and such words to come, we are actually doing a diag diagnosis about the current world, saying we don't want such and such things to remain and continue anymore. In other words, when we say we want to go back to the normal, what is the normal that we are referring to? Please, from your handout, listen to what Brian Walsh, a Canadian theologian, has to say in that regard. Reading from the second line uh, from the quote on your handout. Indeed, it seems to me that our experience is in many ways not unlike the experience of exile for the Jews in the 6th century BC. We live in Babylon. Babylonian definitions of reality, Babylonian patterns of life, Babylonian views of labor, and Babylonian economic structures dominate our waking and our sleeping. And like the exiled Jews, we find it very tempting to think that all of this is normal. This is the way life basically should be. Western materialistic affluence coupled with two-third world poverty is normal. A proliferation of cheap and useless consumer goods is normal. Environmental collapse is normal. Dedicating one's life to economic growth is normal. People living for the weekend is normal. A throwaway society is normal. Deficit financing is normal. Rapid and greedy resource depletion is normal. But Canadian poet and songwriter Bruce Cockburn tells us at this point that the trouble with normal is it always gets worse. If our presence in this culture is to be Christian, we must recognize with Christian insight the profound abnormality of it all. Let me read this part once more. We must recognize with Christian insight the profound abnormality of it all. 
This means that we cannot allow our experience of exile to define reality for us. We must not allow the Babylonian economistic worldview so to captivate our imaginations that its patterns, its views, and its priorities become normal for us. Isn't that powerful? The Christian insight or the prophetic wisdom or prophetic imagination is that we must recognize the profound abnormality of the present world. It's not that everything in the past was wrong, but we must try to discern what went wrong, what wrongs have been done to this present world. When we say we want to go back to the normal are we talking about the world with restless busyness, constant competitions, a world where winners take it all, where your life becomes a product in a market, and your, life is, your life's worth is valued in a monetary form, in a form of salary, where a good life is defined by how much you have and what you have achieved? What is the normal that we want to go back to? You know, rather than choosing to go back to the Babylon, what we really need now is a liberation from Babylon. An imagination, a new imagination about the liberated world. A courage to take an exodus step towards a kingdom likeness. Isn't that why God has chosen and sent Abraham, Moses, Nehemiah, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit to us so that when the Spirit of the Lord is upon us, He has anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim liberation for the prisoners, and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Liberation gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, spiritually and also holistically. Isn't the whole story of the Bible about God liberating the broken and the oppressed? Even from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Think about the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is full of dramas, pains, and traumas. He was born in a somewhat wealthy, happy family as the second youngest, loved a lot by his father. But out of jealousy and envy, he was hated by his own brothers, bullied and brutally beaten up by them, and eventually human trafficked. You know, how much hatred should one have gotten if he were to be human trafficked by his own brothers as a slave to a foreign land? You know, how many days you think has he counted with expectations and patience until someone from the family would come and save him? Days, months, years, decades, was he forsaken just once? No, he was being continually forsaken and forgotten 
day by day, as he must have been expecting someone to come and save, saying, is it today? Is it today? How many times must he have tempted to commit a suicide? Yes, he took a courage to do his best at his work, but again, false accusation, false charge, being imprisoned, becoming a loser once again. But you know what's coming next in the story? There comes a dramatic turnabout in his story. But you know what? The climax of Joseph's story is not that he suffered, but he persevered. And then God honored him, and he eventually became a prime minister of the Egyptian empire. You know, despite the suffering, Joseph trusted in the Lord, so God blessed him with success? No. If we understood the turnabout of Joseph's life story like this, like this success story of a poor man becoming a prime minister, this prosperity gospel-like narrative, we are missing the essence of the story. The climax of Joseph's story is not the fact that he became a prime minister of the empire, but the things that he did as a prime minister. After seven years long great harvest and another seven years long national and international famine, what Joseph did was to distribute the stored grains to those people in need. And I don't know about you, but when I read what and how he did that, the story actually caused my eyebrows to raise. If Joseph were a good person, a good politician, a good governor, I expected him to be a little more merciful and charitable, you know, perhaps freely giving food at least to the poor people, giving welfares, sending stimulus checks. But it's just awkward and weird. First, he took monies from the people. When the people became broke, he took lands and properties from them, giving them to Pharaoh. And when all of them, all of the lands and properties were taken and collected from them, Joseph made every single inhabitant of the empire to become slaves of Pharaoh in exchange of the food and drinks. All the lands have now become nationalized under the Pharaoh. Isn't this weird? What's going on, Joseph? Could you not have been a little more merciful and compassionate? Have you become an imperialist? Was this just out of your control, Joseph? What is it that happened with Joseph in this story? You know, it looks as if Joseph worked for the empire and for the Pharaoh until we realize that this is exactly what God dreamed of him to do as a prime minister. 
all the once free people have now become slaves of Pharaoh. And that sounds pretty sad. Nobody owns a land and everybody is like a tenant farmer. Apparently, that sounds very sad. But if we take a deep breath and have another look and imagine the new reality, the new reality is that much of the inequalities that have long existed in the empire have now been dismissed or very much minimized through this radical economic reform. You know, much of the inequalities that have long existed in the empire have been dismissed or very much minimized through this radical economic reform by Joseph. Is this an overstatement, an over-imagination? Let's take a look. Apart from our own subjective interpretations of the story, how about that we let the Pentateuch, namely the Bible, itself have a say about this and let it interpret this story by itself. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. It's a chapter about jubilee. It's a chapter about jubilee. The land is mine, says the Lord. You are aliens and my tenants. You cannot permanently own a land. Even though you could lease out the land I gave to you, the land must be returned to its owner at every 50th year, the year of Jubilee, the year of Lord's favor. You know, looking at the world now and in previous generations and centuries, what is the major cause that widens the gap between the rich and the poor? It's the land and the properties. What if lands were not privatized and every civilian must lease? In other words, what if there's a world where unearned income from owning a land is, is systematically controlled? And every once in a while, there's an economic reset button to be pressed so that everyone is protected to have another chance to dream and start over. What if there were a social recovery restorative system which does its best to minimize violence of the empire and honor the dignity and worth of every life as created in God's image so that much of the equity and justice could be established on the land? You know, when we read Leviticus 25, the chapter about Jubilee, we might have thought, you know, this is too idealistic. This is too idealistic. Can there be such world? But you know what? God, with Joseph, turned this dark tra tragedy, this pandemic-like international famine, which lasted for seven years, into an opportunity to bring about the kingdom justice and equity in the areas of socio-economic system of the empire. 
The climax of Joseph's story is not about a prosperity gospel story that he persevered and eventually became a prime minister. It's a story that reveals how a miserable and broken life like Joseph's life can be held in the merciful and mighty hands of God so that they partner together to discern the abnormalities of the world and do their best to heal the messiness of the world, bringing about the kingdom likeness onto the earth, God's kingdom invading into the earthly empire. What apparently happened were tragedies, miserable life of a young man, international great depression and famine for the empire. But what's the point? God made beautiful things even through the tragedies, famines, and pandemics. What is God's masterpiece like? What did God accomplish through this national, international tragedy? First, he restructured the socio-economic system of the empire, which must have looked just like any empire system, so solid and like a strong fortress, which will never collapse and change. You know, does this entail that we here in the 21st century, therefore also need to plan to, you know, plunder every person's land and properties through this pandemic experience and completely restructure our current economy? You know, first of all, I don't think that's realistic. And second, I don't think it's the wisest way uh, to understand and live out the original intent of the Jubilee message and lessons from Joseph's story either. You know, if you look at, take a look at the Jubilee um, mechanism, God is doing justice for every class and every person. It's not about plundering lands and properties from anybody. Nevertheless, we must seriously engage with and keep asking questions like, what are the creative and possible ways we could live out this jubilee motif in this 21st century here and now, individually and communally and societally? What do we need to do to prevent the limitless gap between the rich and the poor in our societies? How can we bridge the gap in just and right ways? You know, you know, we must at least try to discern and diagnose if there are any abnormalities that are present in our current socioeconomic system, this mammon-dominating world, and participate in building alternative narratives. Imagining the alternative world that, according to the scripture, is the prophetic imagination. No earthly system will ever be perfect until Jesus comes back. But nonetheless, there it was, a radical reimagination of the social economic reform in the times of Joseph. What are the creative ways? And how does this imagination change the way I live today, here and now? That is a way to live a prophetic life like Joseph through this pandemic world. But that's not everything. There's even more. 
You know, there are eight more chapters in Genesis even after Joseph's economic reform of Egypt. The story did not end there. There are more stories in, in Joseph's life. Why were there what, the later stories necessary? What did God accomplish beside the economic reform? What happens to the brotherhood and the family? Reconciliation and hospitality. Reconciliation and hospitality, you know, in the family of Joseph, repentance is confessed. Forgiveness is announced. Relationships that have long been broken are restored. From hatred to acceptance, between clans and clans, brothers throwing their arms around their own brothers, long-lasting traumas, are turning into dialogues and reconciliation. Joseph invites his brothers and his younger brother and his father to come over to Egypt and live with him together. It's a radical step of hospitality, welcoming the outsiders, welcoming the enemies, providing their shelters, it's a beautiful form of a communion. How was this ever possible? Reconciliation and hospitality, how were these ever possible? Ironically, through the darkest hour, through this famine. But that's not the end of the story either. When Joseph's brother said to Joseph in, in today's reading, we are now your slaves. Joseph's reply was, no, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You are not my slaves, but brothers. And I, also, I will also take care of you and provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What is he saying, Joseph? This is the true meaning of justice and peace. Justice and peace, lifting up the weak and the vulnerable, providing and taking care of them, giving up the hegemony, the power, reassuring their safety and being kind, securing their future. A reality in which the strong is willing to make sacrifice and live together with all. You know, justice and peace do not only refer to a state where there is no violence. Justice and peace do not just refer to absence of injustice. They are about giving equal and another opportunities to all, an opportunity to be restored, an opportunity to breathe freely and confidently. They are about everyone getting opportunities to live their life as an image of God, as God's beloved children of God, justice and peace. You know, these are the new realities that God brought about through this international famine in Genesis, restructuring of the socioeconomic system, reconciliation and hospitality and justice, and peace. You know, all of these 
can be called as the jubilee or even salvation. If you'd like to use Joseph's own expression in verse 20, you brothers intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The salvation of many lives, salvation of many lives, the holistic aspect of it. You know, I love this verse. It's a confession of a person who knows that it is not himself or herself, but God who has accomplished these even through his miserable life. It's a statement that can be only confessed only by those who walk in the light so that even the darknesses in their lives rather help them to see things even more clearly. You know, as we encounter with this story, we might say, this is rather overwhelming. You know, I'm not Joseph. I'm not in a place where I can bring about the socioeconomic reform of the world. What does the story have for me? That is right. I don't think God is going to say to you and say to me, why were you not able to live like Joseph? Why were you not able to change the world? I don't think he would ask those questions. He's not going to ask us, why did you not live like Elijah? Why did you not live like Moses? But you know what? I'm pretty sure that he will say to us this question. Why did you not live like you were supposed to live at your called place, at your called position, at your called time? Why did you not live keeping the way of the Lord, doing what is right and just from where you are? I hope we don't just say, wow, Joseph is cool. Oh, yes, but alongside with that, what is it that God has bestowed on me? What are the areas of abnormalities of the past that I see and discover and discern from this present world that needs to be restored? How can I live counterculturally if that's a way to follow Jesus in this generation? What should be our new norm and new normal that reflects the kingdom values. Joseph did not aim to become a prime minister. That wasn't his goal from the beginning at all. He just did his best to live his life this given day faithfully, day by day. And likewise, we just focus on our given day just one step at a time. Isn't it that we are making a confession that it is not on us, but on you, God, who leads our life towards wherever you want us to be? So in closing, through this COVID-19, so many things are being shaken and exposed. The long-existed brokennesses and messinesses of the world. Isn't that what we hear like every day from the news media? What are you seeing from this world now? What is your God doing even through this famine-like pandemic? What are the areas of the Babylonian life that we need to be liberated from? Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
when the day comes, when the day comes that Jesus comes back, all the injustices and pains of the world will disappear. All the principalities and powers of the world will be deconstructed. And all of us, united in his name, will bow down on our knees and worship him. A world where jubilee becomes the norm. A world where all is reconciled, every race, every class, every people, every nation. A world where all is accepted and welcome, redeemed by his grace. A world where justice and peace have kissed each other. The day is coming and will surely arrive. And until the day, would you choose to imagine the kingdom to come and live your life in light of that imagination? Let us pray. And I think we all know what and how to pray at this moment, the Lord's Prayer. Would you stretch your arms and hands and say this together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Also, as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.